What does the most prominent erotica anthology editor look for in stories? Also, what she thinks the benefits are of telling your real-life tales in your erotic stories and in your sex writing. That and much more on this episode of Sex, Love, Joy. You're listening to Sex, Love, Joy, an interview series in which special guests reveal intimate details about how they connect the dots between sex, love, joy. I am your host, Anain Bjorquist. On today's show, I have with me Rachel Kramer Bustle. She is the author of the personal essay collection, Sex and Cupcakes. She also writes the Let's Get It On sex column for Philadelphia City Paper. And she has edited over 50 books of erotica, including Come Again, Sex Toy Erotica. Before we get into the show, I'd like to remind you that September 26th, I will be in New York City to learn more about that delicious event called Nourish and Nosh please visit sexlovejoy.com slash events. Are you loving the show? If so, please subscribe on iTunes, share it far and wide to all your friends, and leave a review on iTunes. That way, I can know that you're actually out there listening. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for being on Sex, Love, Joy. Hi, Anaim. Thanks for having me. I want to talk more about your work with erotica and how you put out these great books yearly. Thank you. There's always something for everyone in them. It's a tough balancing act sometimes because everyone has, you know, their favorite things. And sometimes I'll do a book of all kinky stories and those actually sometimes appeal, I think, to not necessarily a more vanilla audience, but they don't go far enough sometimes for the people who are way into their kink. So I'm always trying to balance, like, what would appeal to the average reader? What would appeal to someone who's never read erotica? And what would appeal to people who read a lot of erotica, you know, and are looking for the next hot thing? So it's hard, but that's part of why I like editing anthologies is that at least they have 20 or 25 or sometimes 69 stories to try to offer a sampler with Come Again and the sex toys. I wanted to make really sure that I didn't repeat sex toys as much as possible. So, you know, I didn't want them all to be about vibrators. I also didn't want them all to be about things you'd have to buy. Some of the stories are about things people made. And I I thought about, like, wouldn't it be amazing if someone made me a sex toy? I think that takes a level of ingenuity, both for the writers and these characters. And if someone's doing that in real life, total points for creativity. And then also (laughs) things like ice that you already have in the house. Because, I mean, I think there's obviously amazing sex toys out there. I love them. I support them. I use them. But I also don't want to give the impression that you need to spend money to use sex toys and that you can really create sex toys out of all sorts of things. I mean, don't go putting a dangerous object inside (laughs) of it. I'm not saying that. But, you know, like with spanking, there's so many household objects you could be using to do that. So 
that's one of the things I balance, obviously like sexuality and gender are other things that I Mm -hmm. try to balance, especially with something like come again. There's plenty of things I didn't have room for or couldn't include, but I tried to include stories that might push some people's buttons or might, you know, not everyone is going to love every story. I mean, that's just something you learn when you're editing anthology. So I love hearing what people's favorites are, especially when it, when they're different favorites. Like I happen to love the story told from the point of view of a vibrator because that wouldn't have occurred to me to try to write. And I think it's challenging, but it's funny, you know, and there, there's a lot of humor in this book too, which I appreciate. I just can't imagine like, like the work it takes to have to go through so many stories and submissions that you get. It's fun, but also challenging. And I try really hard to put my calls in as many public places as possible where writers around the world might see them. Because first of all, I think erotica as a genre, any genre really thrives on new writers. Yes. Yeah. So I try to really encourage new writers. And and as long as a publisher wants to work with me, I, I will continue to edit erotica because it, it feeds something in me that's different from when I'm writing you know, just writing, because that's a very solitary experience. I sit at my computer, I write. No, I edit my books also at my desk. I mean, I I don't do it, you know, it's not a collaborative process in that I'm doing it by myself, but it is collaborative in that I'm emailing with people all over the world. And once the books are out, you know, there is this sort of community of people who are invested in, you know, sharing space in that book. And I love seeing them on Twitter saying, oh, I liked your story. Oh, I liked your story. So it's sort of this social outlet for my job, which is very solitary. To me, you're one of the the best people that's teaching how to get into sex writing. Thank you. I mean, I I think, you know, part of why I I teach classes now in erotica, sometimes in nonfiction, I mean, I really try to encourage people because I didn't come to this with a background in writing. I didn't study journalism. I went to law school. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And I sort of stumbled into this world. I started writing about sex when I was becoming more involved in the sex party scene and the kink scene and some other like sexual subcultures in New York. And that that really changed me. Like it had a big impact on my life and I was learning a lot. And so I feel like the progression of where I was that I started in around 1999, you know, I I didn't set out, oh, I'm going to do this for a living. I thought it would be a side thing and it sort of took over my life. But I think why I do so many different things is that if I only wrote, say, essays about my personal life, I think I would very quickly burn out because I love writing about my life, but within, you know, when when I want to, I want to control it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to have to every day say something deep and profound about my personal life because I think then that puts pressure on your personal life. So I think doing the other things, doing journalism, um, doing erotica, editing, I get to learn about other people. I learn things all the time. You know, I learn things about fantasies. I learn things about sexuality from the editing. And, you know, I'll try to research topics that I don't know as much about because I'm curious. You know, I think that sort of is what drives me to do most of the things that I do. Is that what keeps it fresh for you? Because that's where my question was going. Does it just, is it a natural process that just evolved for you? It's more of a natural process. You know, I think if something is happening in my life that seems like it might be relevant to other people or it's something I'm struggling with or it's something tying into something in the news, then I will write about it. 
But if it's something where I feel like, oh, I should write about it, but I don't really want to, then I try to find other ways to write about it. And sometimes that comes out in fiction, or sometimes it doesn't come out till years later. You know, I think that sometimes we feel like, especially because of online writing and blogging, like we should write about everything the moment it happens. And sometimes that is cathartic, but sometimes you can reflect on it two years later, 10 years later, and it makes more sense because you can fit it in the context of like, this is what I thought then, but this is what I know now. Especially for me, I process things better on the page, I think, than sometimes I do in person. And that can be tricky if you're with someone who doesn't do it that way. Um, What is the biggest difference between sex writing and writing erotica? I think that, you know, well, this might sound obvious, but erotica is fiction. So you really have much more freedom. You might be writing the same thing. Like you might be writing an essay about going to a sex party and you might be writing erotica about going to a sex party. But I think that with erotica, you can use flourishes, like you can change things around and you can be poetic and the gist of it might be true, but you can, you know, you don't, you're not as beholden to the strict facts of it. I think that when I write erotica that's based on something real, it's more, it's more poetic. It flows off the tongue. And like, I wrote a story called Belted, which is in my anthology Orgasmic, and it is based on my own experience. Um, And it's a BDSM story about a woman, you know, having a belt used on her. And I was trying to really eroticize the belt. I mean, obviously there's a relationship there as well, but I used some flourishes that were not technically true because it sounded good in the sentence. You know, I think there's a line about like, talk about like different places that they've used the belt together. And I said something about Kentucky and I I really like how it sounds in the sentence, but I, I don't think I've ever even been to Kentucky. (laughs) Um, And I just think you can use your imagination and get swept away in fiction in a way that with nonfiction, you can also be poetic. I mean, you can tell the story in a way that's as compelling as fiction, but you're, you're tied to those facts. And I think sometimes people get tripped up when they're writing erotica that's based on something true. They feel like they have to get either get too many details in because they were there and they remember, or they feel beholden to that truth you know, you can play around with it, or you could write a true story, but from the other person's perspective. And I think the purpose of erotica is different. You know, the purpose of erotica is to arouse the reader. I mean, whether or not it's, it's not going to arouse every reader, but that's a different purpose than an essay. What would you say to the person that wants to write erotica, but they are so afraid to do it because they, they feel like they might reveal too much of themselves? I hear that a lot um, when I teach classes, especially people are nervous because they feel like this came out of my head, so it must be saying something about my psyche. And the thing is, I think there's a part of the creative process we don't totally understand. I mean, sometimes I know exactly where an erotic story's you know, roots are in my mind or my fantasy life, but sometimes they come from somewhere I'm like, how did I write that? Like in real life, I would never do that. Like, I don't always know what the connection is. And I think that, you know, you have to separate a little bit. Like you have to, first of all, I tell people like, don't think about what's going to happen after it's out in the world, like write it first. And I think that sometimes it's those things that make us nervous that make the best stories, you know, because 
you know, erotica is a place where you can explore things that might be taboo or things that might not work in your real life. Like maybe, I mean, to use a kind of basic example, I mean, maybe you're in a monogamous relationship and you're committed to that, but in your erotica, that's not what drives it. Or, or, you know, maybe your character is doing something that just you physically couldn't do or, you know, the, the way you've set up your life, you wouldn't do like, that's okay. I think people do take it so personally that they sometimes feel guilty about just having those thoughts. And that's really where, like, I mean, I think that people read erotica as a way to escape or as a way to fantasize. And that's, I think that's a good thing. Like, I think tapping into whether it's your personal fantasy or your character's fantasy I think it's helpful to people. I think it's useful. Like people enjoy it and and I think learn from it. So I think as much as you can, like remember that, you know, yes, you are the author, but the work of fiction has a life of its own. I want to shift a little bit to the more personal now. Mm -hmm. You've been writing very personal essays for a long time on the internet and you've paved the way for a lot of us that write about our own lives. What have you gained, Rachel, from telling your truth? I think that I've learned to be pretty fearless with my writing um, and with pushing myself sometimes past the point where I would normally be comfortable. Like, you know, I've had to ask myself questions that by writing about these things that I might not have otherwise. And that is not always a fun thing or a comfortable thing. But I think it's it's important. Um, and, you know, it's a really, it's, it's a case-by-case basis. I think one of the toughest things has been figuring out what is my story to tell and what is someone else's story to tell and where is that line. Um, and, you know, it's, I think that's something everyone has the answer for themselves. But... Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I also think I tend to write about my personal life when it's something that won't leave me alone, like when I can't stop thinking about it. Um, and a lot of those things are around what we would consider very personal topics. But I think, the, in general, topics that seem so personal that no one is talking about them, those are the things people want to know about, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, those, like, you know, for instance, it's not about sex, but I think the principle is the same. I read a lot of mommy blogs because I want to be ready when I do have kids to know what it's like. And those are sometimes things that you wouldn't ask your friends or someone wouldn't necessarily tell you. And I think the same goes for sex. Yes. A lot of the things that seem so personal are things that people either want to know or talking about with their friends. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Like, and I think the more you do it, actually, the harder it gets. <laughs> because you, especially if you're writing about the same person over and over, then it gets really hard because it's like, if someone's been reading all your work, they know a lot of things about this other person. And that's something I deal with in my life now, even though I'm with someone who, who will say, oh, write whatever you want. Once I write it, like, it's sort of out there. I mean, I think that is something to consider, especially if you're using your real name. Like, you can't take it back. You can't delete it off 
I mean, even if you could, people might have already seen it. So I think you have to really ask yourself, what is the purpose of my writing this? Because I hear plenty of stories from people that they could sell in a heartbeat, like they're great, amazing stories, but would the repercussions be too great? You know, what if, yeah. or is it too um, individualized that people would be able to tell who that person is if they did it anonymously? Like, I think you have to ask yourself that. And sometimes it's trial and error. Like sometimes you write something you're like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have written that. <laughs> <laughs> what does a, a piece of writing have to have in it? to catch your attention what's that that erotica or both let's do both um erotica i think it's so hard to say like it has to have this um in general i would say like if i'm editing an anthology i'm looking for a couple things i'm looking for stories that really grab my attention from the beginning I'm looking for stories, if I'm publishing 20 or 25 stories, I'm looking for variety. Now, that might not help you. Like, you know, you don't necessarily know what other people are sending. And I wouldn't say be provocative or out there just to be out there. Like, don't write about sex on Mars if that's not something you're really interested in or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, things that surprise me, things that I would never write. And, like, one example I give a lot is there's a story called Chemistry by Velvet Moore in my anthology Orgasmic. And the theme was female orgasm. And this is about a woman who's turned on by chemistry, like the science chemistry. And she just gets so perfectly into the head of this character with this fetish. And it was so unusual. And, yes, part of it is, like, I almost failed chemistry in high school. So I was very... <laughs> Uh, some of it, I, you know, I understood it. Like you don't have to know about chemistry to get it, but it was just very, it was a very unusual fetish and it was just done really well. Um, and I think something that, you know, both I like surprises. I mean, not necessarily like at the end, you know, yeah, the whole thing is a dream or whatever, but, um, I like, I just like to be surprised and I like something that makes me think about something I've never thought about before. And that doesn't have to mean, you know, a crazy fantasy that like I've never heard of before. Like you can be writing about something that I've read other stories about, but do it in a way that's a little different. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's an infinite number of ways to do that. Um, so I think, and I think as a general practice, if you're writing erotica, like changing, if, if you find similar elements in a lot of your stories, you know, finding a way to change that can be just helpful to you. Like for a while, I was writing a lot of stories and they were set at parties, different kinds of parties, but still parties. And I was like, okay, no more parties for a while. <laughs> you're relying on that as the setting. So I found ways to, you know, change it up. Um, you know, other than that, you know, it's it's really hard to say this is what makes a great piece of erotica because, you know, I think each piece, the way it does it is different. Um, I think something I appreciate is, you know, the sexual tension, like getting mm. into like drawing it out. I mean, not drawing it out forever, but, you know, I want to know who this character is and like what why now, why this, like, what about this is so compelling, even if it's about a couple who's had sex every day for like five years. I mean, I would love to read erotica about that because, you know, what's hot about having sex every day for five years. And then on the first day of the sixth year, like, how do you keep that passion? You know what I mean? It's, you know, I think 
you can make anything erotic if you have the passion of the character, like you get into what that is. And even if it's, if they're into something that I would never do in a million years, if I can tap into why they're feeling that way or what draws them to it, then I can get into it as a reader. I love that you touched the piece about, you know, people thinking they're too vanilla. I, I personally think that vanilla can be decadent and can be just adds so much to our lives. And that's one of the things that I do like about your anthologies. It's there's always those pieces that they are vanilla, but they're very erotic. They're very enticing. And that's why I recommend the books to women. What, why do you think that is now that, that people are afraid to be vanilla? I mean, I think there is something exciting about writing something or reading something that's over the top, you know, that's Mm -hmm. sex in an airplane or, you know, whisking you off to somewhere or this trend of like the billionaire. I mean, I think there's something, you know, intriguing about people who probably aren't like us. And I think that people feel like, oh, well, because readers are looking for fantasy and escapism, these characters can't be too real, so to speak. Um, But I think that you have to really tap into like, you know, there's nothing that's too this or too that, you know, you don't even have to have a sex scene per se and you're erotic to make it sexy. One of the first stories I wrote was called lap dance lust. And it's about a woman who gets a lap dance. And it was about the process of getting a lap dance and what was hot about that. And no, no one was a hundred percent even naked in it. I mean, the, the, woman giving a lap dance was largely naked but you know like it it didn't have a traditional sex scene but that's the point like the sexy part was this interaction that wasn't sex it was a lap dance so um you know I think you have to think about what is what is what a point am I trying to make like what's sexy to this character and what's motivating them and why is it hot for them and I think that's really the difference it's not necessarily why is it hot to you author x it's why is it hot to this character? And I think that can also mm. help you differentiate, especially if you have that fear of like, I'm exposing this thing about myself. Um, because you might also have that fantasy, but that's not necessarily what you're writing. You're writing your characters and, you know, how they live that out. And that is going to be different just by the nature of it being a story. You know, they're they're not you, even even if, you know, they have a lot of the same elements of you. Um, and, and so I think you really have to both know what makes it sexy for them and bring that out. Because I think sometimes people use shorthand like, oh, the person was so hot, they look like Brad Pitt or whoever. And then they just like get in, you know, move on. I'm like, well, that alone doesn't really tell us everything because not everyone is, even if, you know, say you're writing for straight women, not every straight woman is thinks Brad Pitt is like the person, you know, their, their celebrity crush. You might have, they might have some uh, totally other celebrity crush. So no offense to Brad Pitt or whatever, but um, (laughs) I think sometimes we use these shorthands of like, they have this quality that we're all supposed to find attractive, but you know, that's kind of generic. Like what exactly about this person is making them attractive in that moment, you know, to your character. What guilty pleasures do you have? Just in general in life. Yeah. Reality TV. 
I watch a lot, not a lot, but I watch my fair share of reality TV. And I kind of love when you like find a new one. You're like, I don't know anything about these people, but I'm instantly caught up in their drama. Uh, I just watched Newlyweds the first year. And that one is less, you know, they're, they are obviously, it's actually, I think they call it a docu-series. Like they don't technically use reality TV, but, um, but you know, like they're real people. You can follow them on Twitter and, uh, you know, they're not, like they're not the Kardashians, but I don't know. I got really sucked into it. I was like, and I actually found all these things. I was like, oh my God, that's like out of my life. And that's like, like, you know, like one of them, I think like one of the, I forget who it was, but one of them is like always late. And the partner is like, come on, you're going to be late. And that's totally something that happens in my life all the time. Um, I'm the late one just to make it clear. So I um, love that because like I tell my, my husband, I'm like, I like watching reality TV because they have so much drama in their lives and we don't fight. We don't have drama. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yes, it's, you know, whether how much of it is real or how much of it is dramatized, I don't really care because I enjoy watching it. But my boyfriend, like, will not. He's like, you watch that when you're alone. <laughs> he did let me, like, one day, I think I got interrupted because I was, like, doing errands for him. So he was like, okay, you can finish watching. And he watched, but the, I was like watching him watching because the look on his face, he was kind of horrified. He's like, who are these people? What's happening? And then like that episode happened to be, I think it was the series finale. And like someone was literally going to the hospital and having a baby. And I was like, oh my goodness, you're going to like, this is just not, I I know you, the last thing you would want is like, because he's like, why would someone let a camera film their giving birth? It did not literally film them giving birth. I mean, it did close the door, but you could hear them talking. (laughs) what was happening and to me like okay I probably wouldn't do that myself but that's why I watch tv to see people doing things I wouldn't do but I think that goes back to the writing like you know you can't always if you write a lot about your own life you know you're not always going to be the good guy in the story like sometimes Mm. you might do terrible things or you might have thoughts that aren't so pretty and like you can write about those like you don't always have to be the hero of your you know, memoir or story. And in fact, like, I think it's more relatable when you write about the things you do that are awkward or uncomfortable or that you feel guilty about, like, and then you work it through in the writing and you figure out, like, am I right? And is the other person right? Like, who's to say? Um, And I don't think, you know, yes, readers are going to probably have an opinion on that. Um, I've written about being a hoarder. I'm sure people read that and are like, that's terrible. Like you're wasteful, you're materialistic, you're this, that, that. I mean, first of all, none of those are things I've not thought about myself. So, um, but I feel like I'm trying to be proactive both in writing about it to sort of deal with it and to, you know, offer insight. And most of the feedback I've gotten, I've gotten some feedback from people who are hoarders, but I've gotten a lot of feedback from people whose family members are hoarders and they say, this helps me understand what that thought process is, like why that person would keep all these things that to me are in the way. I love that correlation because people who put themselves on reality TV and people who who are writing their own lives, when you look back at either of those things, it, it causes a change in you somehow. It causes you to see yourself in a different light. I know that my marriage changed immensely when my husband started reading our life through my writing it was just totally a different way for him to see us I think that if you are an artist or writer like you'll understand that there is 
a different way you would write to a general audience than you would say it to someone's face. It's not that you wouldn't say it to them, but you would just say it in a different way. And I, I feel like I try really hard, especially now that I'm in a long-term relationship, to if I'm going to write something about my relationship, it's going to be something that my partner already knows about. I might say it in a different way, but I'm not going to suddenly be like, oh, here's this revelation about me that you've never heard. I'm going to put it on the internet. Um, usually it's something he already knows, but I will say it in a different way, you know? And like, actually the other day, cause I wrote an ebook of essays called sex and cupcakes that came out last year. I don't know how we got on this topic, but he was like, oh, well, when I read your ebook, there were stories in there. Like you'd been to orgies and things. And I was like, well, that never, like, I'm sure there's things in there that never came up in conversation with us. I wasn't hiding them. It's not a secret. I just never felt the need to be like, oh, by the way, this one time this thing happened to me and then this and this and this. But in the context of writing an essay, it was relevant, you know, so it's not a secret. It just might not come up within interpersonal conversation. And I think especially if you're writing online, even if you're writing under a pseudonym, I mean, I've heard plenty of people who wrote under a pseudonym and then their partner found what they were writing and were hurt by it. Like, I think that is something to consider. But I also think that if you're the partner of someone who's a writer or other kind of artist, um, I mean, you have to give them that freedom to express themselves in the way that they most want to. I mean, you know, I think it goes both ways. I love that. I would love to know what is your personal feminine magic that you bring into the world? That's a hard question. Um, I think you, you might have emailed me this and I totally forgot because I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I have that. Um, I, I think I, you know, this is sort of obvious, but sometimes people say, oh, you're just like you, you talk like you write or you're just like you are on the Internet. And I think that's true. Like I. I mean, I have used a pseudonym sometimes for erotica, but mostly I write as myself, you know, even though I write fiction, but I don't have a filter. Like I don't have a persona, like I'm pretty much myself. And sometimes that is challenging because I put a lot of myself into my work and that line of like what's business and what's personal is, is sometimes blurred. But I feel like if I say something to someone on, on the internet or in person, you know, it's genuine. Like I'm not trying to filter myself or make myself look better or whatever. I mean, you know, um, I mean, yes, if I'm writing a personal essay, like I'm picking and choosing what details to include, but they're all heartfelt. And that's, I think, how I can write things that other people would say are really personal or embarrassing or, you know, too detailed or too whatever. Um, so I, I think that's what I bring. And and sometimes that means like I do make myself really vulnerable. And sometimes that means like if I do, you know, something gets rejected or, you know, someone says something negative, like I was saying, with the, like the hoarding, like sometimes I do internalize it. Like I'm not perfect. I'm not like I don't magically have like the thickest skin ever. But, you know, I try to get past that. But I also have the word heart tattooed on my arm because like I do wear my heart on my sleeve and I bring that forth in my writing and you know whether that's good or bad like that's how I am so but I also I don't think everyone is that way like I don't it's not something I would say oh do it exactly like this because not everyone wants to do that or can do that that's just sort of how 
I've evolved in my career and my life. I think that's one of the most beautiful pieces of magic to be yourself always and always. I just, I love it. Like that to me is one of the things that I try to embody is what to see is what you get. And I think that like the more you embrace that, like the less you feel like you have to apologize for your writing or your fantasies or your actions. I'm not saying like I'm perfect and that I never have to apologize to someone for my actions, but I think there's elements of who I am that that's not how someone else would live. Like most people probably aren't hoarders, but like that is, I think, an essential part of who I am. And I try to work on like how that expresses itself because I don't want to live like at the worst extreme of that. But I think that mentality is just an innate part of me. And so instead of trying to like completely get rid of that, I've just said, okay, this is a part of me. How can I best manage that? So my life is, you know, moving forward and not like, you know, I'm not overrun with stuff, but I think sort of forgiving ourselves and embracing those things that might be unusual or sometimes inconvenient, but that are just part of our makeup, like recognizing that and then figuring out how do you, how do you deal with that? Like if you're always late, I mean, that's an action. It's not necessarily part of your you know, personality, but whatever it is, like, I think being honest with yourself rather than saying, oh, well, now it's no longer part of me. Like, I'm not, you know, that person. So when people say to me, like, are you a hoarder? I'm I'm like, yes, I'm a hoarder. And I probably always will be. I mean, I might not always actively hoard things, but I will always like want to. I also think you you can look to other people for examples, but you can't compare yourself in the sense of like, I should do things the way they do them because you might do things like they do them, but it wouldn't work out. Yeah. And I think that goes for writing. Like I think some, it was for me with writing too. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, I should write about that or like that because this person's doing that. But now maybe there, there might be some truth in that and that like, I might be able to write about X topic that I never thought about. But at the same time, like your voice is what makes your writing unique. So you know, just because someone else says this isn't my thing or whatever, like that doesn't mean change your writing, you know, change it if you want to, or if you want to experiment, but like, you know, keep who you are in your work. In everything. (laughs) In everything. Yeah. Sex is. Sex is always changing. Love is. I would say um, welcoming. Joy is. I would say infectious. Ooh, (laughs) I love those three, especially joy. Like that is my absolute newest favorite. Oh, (laughs) thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. This was so fun. Thanks for listening to Sex, Love, Joy. For more interviews like this one and my other work, please visit sexlovejoy.com. I hope that listening to today's guest talk about living their truths helps you in your quest to do the same. Remember, thriving ain't easy, but adding a little sex, love, joy to your day makes the living a whole lot juicier. Until next time.